Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, beginning at chapter 7, verses 21, and continuing through the first verse of chapter 8. Hear now God's word for us today. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Through the Spirit, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again, church. Well, thank you for the 27 of you uh, that said it back. (laughs) Today we continue our series, Prepare the Way, celebrating the victory of Christ. But before we begin, I thought I should share a bit about the genesis of this series. I was driving in my car one afternoon listening to the news as a researcher was being interviewed about a national survey of American Christians. The survey asked respondents how much they understood about the basic tenets of our faith. And when the researcher shared that over 65% of our fellow American Christians surveyed shared that they didn't really understand what victory in Christ really meant, I almost hit the car in front of me. Because after all, we we proclaim the victory in Christ every Easter season. And we don't just talk about it. We sing about it, some of us off-key. Hymns like, Christ is risen, O victorious head, risen from the dead. We read scriptures like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Or 1 John chapter 5 verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory of our faith. And when we're done singing about victory, or reading about victory, then we preach about victory. And yet despite all of this singing, praying, preaching, and reading, research shows that the vast majority of us don't really understand what it means. So hearing this, I felt the Holy Spirit navigating me towards this Lenten series where each week we will unpack another facet of what it means to have victory in Christ. So that when Easter Sunday morning comes, we know exactly what we're praying, preaching, and singing all about. 
Now, my thanks goes out to Pastor Paul Ernst and Pastor in Training Bonnie, who preached the, sec- the first and second installments of this series, Victory Over Fear and Victory Over Exclusion. But today, today we turn our attention to victory over failure. Now, Jonah, considering this topic, uh, this text seems like an odd choice. After all, when we read about the Apostle Paul in the seventh chapter of Romans, we read about his failure, not about his victory. He tells us in verse 21 that he wants to live a life that is right and victorious, but he just keeps on failing. Despite his very best efforts, he says that evil is always present with him. And he can't seem to get off this merry-go-round of mistakes and misery and sin and mess-ups. And yet, Jerry, I would submit to you that this text is precisely the right text to read about victory. It's the right text because real victory doesn't begin with achievement. Real victory begins with acknowledgement. Let me see if I can make that more clear. You see, in order to be victorious over something, we first have to name the thing that we can't beat. We have to courageously acknowledge our flaws, our sins, our failures, and our mistakes as a first step towards victory. Now, think of it this way. Raise your hand if you know and love the story of David and Goliath. All right, that's a lot of you. In fact, the same survey said that most Christians know and love the story of David and Goliath. And we know and love that story because we can't forget that image of that young teenage David standing boldly before the Philistine camp. You remember the Philistines, that that foreign army that was terrorizing David and his people. And Goliath, their biggest and baddest warrior who bragged about the number of Israelites that he had killed. But what does David do? He walks right up to the Philistine camp, armed with a slingshot, stones, and faith as tall as a skyscraper. He calls Goliath out of the camp. He aims his slingshot, and he slays him with just one stone. But you know, if we were to imagine that the story went a different way, it would have a totally different outcome. Imagine for a moment that David walks up to the Philistine camp ready to fight, but he was unable to name his opponent. Imagine all of the stones that would be misfired at at that person and that person and that person because David couldn't even say who he was trying to slay. And my brothers and sisters, that's a word for somebody here today. You see, we can't aim at something that we can't name. You see, David couldn't slay Goliath without calling him out of the camp. And we can't slay the cycle of sin and brokenness and and failure at work in our own lives if we don't first name it for ourselves. So maybe, 
Maybe the question that God wants you to consider this Easter season is what failure do I need to name? What habits, what decisions, what mistakes need to be acknowledged so that you can take the first steps towards victory? Now, as you consider those questions, and those are hard questions, I want to caution you that the answer may not lead where you think. Because you see, when we read this text in our modern English language translation today, verse 21 reads that evil is always with Paul. And when we read that translation, we imagine evil as this external presence that's following Paul around. Paul walks out to the mailbox and evil is right there with him. Paul sits down at the dinner table and evil says, pass the salt. Paul is traveling around preaching and teaching and baptism and evil is along for the ride. But you see, this understanding of evil is not really what the text says. If we move beyond our English translation and instead we read this text in the original Greek in which it was written, we learn that that word with in verse 21, is a Greek word called okeo. Somebody say okeo. It sounds like oikos, the yogurt, but it's not the same thing. Because you see, okeo in the original Greek doesn't mean with as in near or in close proximity to. No, okeo is better translated as within. You see, okeo is the same Greek word that's used to describe families dwelling within a house. Or okeo is the same Greek word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit dwelling within disciples. Okeo doesn't mean that evil is walking alongside Paul to the mailbox or, or sitting down at the table with him. This is not some outside source. No, okeo describes the sin that is present within him. And you see, some of us, we've been singing songs about victory. We've been praying prayers about victory. We've been preaching sermons about victory. But we never live into it because we're focusing the battle on the enemy outside of us instead of the enemy within us. Because isn't that the hardest battle of all? Not, not to face the person out there, but to face the person in here. Because here's the truth. Most of us would rather go 10 rounds with the heavyweight champion of the world rather than go 10 minutes with the person in the mirror. Why? Because it's so much easier it's so much easier to point out his sin and her failure and their mistakes rather than to point out the sin within. Now, I know that I am preaching to mature disciples who are holy and sanctified, but for the rest of us, if you're wondering what this looks like, I want to invite you into the boxing ring in the Caldwell Gross household. You see, in one corner, we have Olivia, the 
innocent little sister. And in the other corner, we have Joshua, the big and bad older brother who is constantly accused of hitting her. Now, like any parent wanting to raise a boy who loves his sisters and respects women, Joshua has spent hours, maybe maybe even weeks of his life, sitting in time out, paying for the punishment of hitting his sister. Now, I have to share with you that this is because Olivia often bursts into our bedroom crying and and limping and, and holding some appendage that she claims Joshua has assaulted. That is, that is until one day, unbeknownst to them, I stood at the top of the steps and watched as one of their boxing matches played out below. You see, Joshua was sitting down on one side of the room, minding his own business, playing on his tablet, and Olivia was sitting on the other side of the room, asking him when it was going to be her turn. He said, well, yes, you you will have a turn, but I want to finish my game. And as you can imagine, that answer was not good enough for Olivia. She began to systematically launch beads at the back of his head. And when he turned around and said, stop, she said what all little sisters say. Stop what? (laughs) I'm not doing anything. Well, he turned back to his tablet and then she stepped up her artillery. She started to launch even bigger, harder beads, one, two, three, at the back of his head until finally he got so frustrated that he picked up a pillow and launched it straight at her face. Now, the Oscars were aired last week, and if there was a trophy for best actress in the You Started It category, Olivia would win. Because when that pillow hit her, she stepped back dramatically. She let out a banshee scream, and then she began to stumble in the pain that only a down feather pillow can inflict. You see, the words mom were about to come out of her mouth, and this mic is about to come off of my face, until she looked up, and she saw me looking down. The look on her face told me that she knows she will be nominated in next year's Oscars for the category of Best Actress in the You Got Caught category. But you see, rather than protest or attempt to to shift the blame, she just put her hands up. She walked towards the timeout bench and said, it was me. (laughs) And you know, I can't help but wonder what it would look like this Lenten season if instead of of pointing out everybody else's sin, everybody else's mistakes, everybody else's failure, if we were to take a time out, put our hands up, and say, it's me. It's me that's struggling with sin. It's me that's making the mistakes. It's me that's not repenting. It's me that's hurting others. It's me that's holding grudges. It's me, not them, not him, not her. It's me. Because you see, Paul, 
Paul is trying to teach us this morning the real meaning of victory. And it comes not only when we name our sin, but when we name the sin within. That's the real battle. That's the real challenge of the Christian life. Not casting the stone at the sinner over there, but casting light on the sinner in here. Now, I want to parenthetically pause here because this is where many Christians get lost. This is how 65% of us can say that we don't really know what victory is. And it's because when we think of victory, we think of a TKO, a total knockout, a complete and total win. There's just one problem with that definition of victory. Us. We're human. And even though we believe in Jesus with all of our heart, our mind, and our strength, and the power of the resurrection, we get confused as to why we keep failing and sinning over and over again. And over time, this dynamic of of belief, but sin, hope, but mistakes, can erode our faith in the victory of Christ. Because how can the power of Jesus' victory be real if we keep failing, if we keep sinning, if we keep messing up? But here's what God wants you and the 65% of us who wonder what victory is to remember. Victory in Christ is not perfection. It's progress. Let me say that again. Victory in Christ is not perfection. It's progress. You see, at the end of the scripture that we read today, you heard Paul tell the Romans that thanks be to God. He has the victory in Christ Jesus. And all of us should be scratching our heads because he spends all the verses before this telling us that evil is present within him. So which is it, Paul? How can you have the victory if you keep on failing God? Well, the answer isn't what we think. Because you see, Paul isn't writing about Paul. Paul is writing about Saul. Remember Saul? You see, we often remember the Apostle Paul, the foremost theologian of the New Testament, the the most effective preacher in all of Christendom, but we forget about Saul. Saul, the bloodthirsty, judgmental, and murderous sinner who persecuted people who believed in Jesus. And when Paul writes these words about victory in Christ despite still battling with sin within, he's not claiming perfection. He's claiming progress. He's letting us know that he's still not all that God has called him to be, but thanks be to God, he's not who he used to be. God has given him the victory to be better than he was five years ago. Two years ago, six months ago, two weeks ago, and even an hour ago. 
Because you see, victory in Christ is not this one-time win. It's a progressive transformation into living, serving, looking, and being more like Jesus. And my brothers and sisters, that's the victory that God wants to give to you today. That's the victory that Jesus wants to give to every single disciple. The power and the assurance of knowing that the presence of Christ is transforming you each and every day. Because when we know that we are better than we used to be, then we keep trying to become who we ought to be. That, that's the victory. In fact, in our message today, I don't want to preach to you. I want you to preach to yourself. So do me a favor and get your right hand, put it in front of your face like it's a mirror. And I want you to repeat these words after me. I have the victory. I didn't believe you. I have the victory. Not because I'm perfect. But because I'm making progress, I have the victory. Not because I'm sinless, but because I have a Savior. I have the victory. Not because I win every battle but because Christ has won the war. My brothers and sisters, you can put down your mirror. But listen to this. I want you to pick it back up. When you leave this place and you're struggling with your own failure, when you leave this place and you feel like you're on this endless cycle of sin and mistakes, Remember that you have victory in Christ. Not to be perfect, but to make progress. And then you can say, just like Paul does to the Romans, what a wretched person I am. But thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord.